0: This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hey friends and welcome back to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith or as we love to call it here, the show that helps you grow. My name is Jason. I'm a pastor on the Saddleback Spiritual Growth team and today I'm very excited because we are joined by Dr. Henry Cloud. Dr. Cloud is an acclaimed leadership expert. He's a a clinical psychologist and a New York Times bestselling author who's had 45 books. Dr. Cloud, I have no idea how you had time to write 45 books, but they've sold nearly 20 million copies worldwide, including the one that you're probably thinking of, Boundaries, which we're actually going to talk about. Boundaries in an upcoming episode of this podcast. Today, we're talking about Dr. Cloud's new book, Trust, which releases today. The day that this episode releases, you can go on. In the show notes, we'll have a link to be able to purchase his new book, Trust. Dr. Cloud, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing
1: well. It's always good to be with you guys. You know, I was um, uh, hanging around with y'all way back in the beginning, um, and <laughs> And when Celebrate Recovery started sure. and John was doing all that, it was just um it's been a long, long relationship. So love you, church.
0: Oh, that's great. We we always appreciate your time and specifically today talking about trust. We've been in this series on relational health and trust is such a key part of that. I I I, I wanted to start because you say in your book that we we are wired to trust, which is as I said, it's such a, a strong underst- it's a part of what it means to understand relationships. So I wondered if you could unpack for us how exactly are we wired to trust?
1: Well, you know, God did not do anything for no reason. Right? I guess. I mean, maybe he does. Maybe he just says, one day
0: I want to make this. Isn't that
1: beautiful? <laughs> but, but we know that that the way he designed us is um, very very specific to accomplish a lot of different stuff and we're made like he is and so here's before you look at being wired for trust you got to look at why would he do that you know well basically because nothing works without trust we can't live without trust take this example i was on a plane Guy sitting next to me <clears throat> said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm doing some research on trust." And he goes, "Oh, well, you know, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> excuse me." He goes, "I don't trust anybody." He goes, "Trust?" He said, "No, I learned a long time ago you can't trust people. You, know, you just can't trust them. I only trust myself." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm a psychologist, and you're crazy." <laughs> he said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, what do you mean?" And I said. Look out the window. You're 43,000 feet. Did you get yourself up here? How about that? You trusted a couple of people up in that cockpit. And how do you know the guy didn't put chocolate milk in the gas tank? You trusted him to do that. You trusted the cars to stay in the other lane when you drove it. Don't tell me you don't trust. Because nothing in life works without trust. But then when you talked further, you found out that, well, you had been betrayed very deeply in some some real significant relationships you heard the story so when you hear all that you can see how much smaller his life had been after he kind of walled off and doesn't really trust people and even in the relationships he had how he wasn't trusting and he was controlling and jealous and i and god's the only one that doesn't get life outside of himself He's self-sustaining. The rest of us have got to trust the air we breathe. You know, you've been breathing for the last minute and you hadn't thought about it. That's because your system has determined the air is safe. And so it keeps saying yes. But if you smell the fume, your system would maybe run out the door. And that's how we're wired to trust. God wired us to open up and take in good things and then shut the door and say no and don't trust people that aren't trustworthy now getting that right is the topic of the book like how do you know when to give trust when to withhold it from whom should i not trust Mm -hmm. anything or some things with and then how do i earn it myself and then how do we fix it when it gets broken that's kind of the topic of the book
0: no i I think that's such a key part is that is that it's starting to ask yourself these questions of when should I trust? Who should I trust? Who should I not trust? And right. you, you you say in your book that nothing in our world works without trust. It is this huge topic. And yet, I, I, I don't think that a lot of people spend time really intentionally thinking about trust. It's almost like, well, I just go off of a gut instinct i get a feeling about a person i get you know i I just kind of know intuitively who to trust or who not to trust so i was just i was just curious why do you think we don't spend as much time being intentional about the uh, about this topic as probably we should you
1: know that's a good question but we do that all over the place i mean how many how many classes and courses and degrees and intentional training does somebody have to get to go get married or have a baby <laughs> Just some of the most important things in life um, unfortunately we don't think enough about it then we get into it because we didn't think enough about it we gotta think a lot about it after we're in it and then we gotta kind of figure it all out mm. so it it is true though, we um and, and you, you make a good point in that everybody kinda has this you feel like why well, trust this person. Now here's the thing. What they don't often realize is yes, you're feeling like you're trusting that person, and what's happening is your system is opening up and you're letting yourself be vulnerable. It's like my Doberman, when when Somebody comes in, she doesn't know, and she's kind of sniffing them out a little bit. Her ears are up, mm. but as soon as she takes them in, those ears just go straight back in her system. And she'll lie on her back, they can scratch her tummy. She's open, and God has wired us there. And so, you do have this button inside that says, Yes, but here's the problem our button is fallen. (laughs) (laughs) Just like every other part of ourselves. our button makes mistakes. And so we can have that intuitive, oh, I really like this person. But how many people got seduced into falling in love with, marrying a really narcissistic, self-centered person that, that doesn't have the skills to make a marriage work? You know, we can hit, we can hit the yes button inside emotionally, but God is, you know, God says we have a heart, a mind, a soul, and strength. Mm -hmm. And all of that should be operating all the time. A lot of times we don't have our head and our hearts on the same page. And sometimes our heads, here's another one. Sometimes our heads can look at somebody and say, gosh, they're so wonderful you know, all the check all these boxes and they're so great, but my heart's just not wanting to go forward. Well, sometimes, that's because the trust muscle in the heart is broken. The man on the plane sitting next to me, I could have introduced him to a lot of people that he very trustworthy in a lot of different areas, but his heart wouldn't have gone forward. You see, see a lot of young men with what, what we call commitment phobia. Right. How many wonderful women came along and they get so close, but, and they should trust them to fall in love with, but their hearts said no. So it is a, and especially in business, especially in business and, and organizations and church and leadership, how do you know who to hire? How do you know who not to give a project to? It is a huge, hugely important topic.
0: Mm. So I think, it's it's always helpful you know, at least in my experience as i have been as i've thought about trust it's helpful to me to, to remember that trust goes both ways there's the question of how do i think about who i trust but there's also the question of making myself a trustworthy to other right. people so one of the key parts of your book it talks about these 5 essentials of trust. Those are understanding, motive, ability, character, and track record. So could you talk with us a little bit uh, about the dual nature of how we should think about these lenses, these five essentials in terms of how we trust others and in terms of making ourselves trustworthy to others?
1: Well, you know, we don't oftentimes think enough about that that life is double ledger. You know, if you think about accounting,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, every time something
1: goes on one side of the balance sheet, there's another side of the PL. There's mm-hmm. one, there's always, you know, everything costs something, right? And well, life is like that. There's always God has made the world relational and there's always ourselves and there's always the other. Mm. And you know, unfortunately in business and in personal relationships, we spend so much time thinking about just the other and and you know criticizing well, they're trustworthy and why they do it this way and day day And sometimes not enough time about, like Jesus said, getting the log out of our own eyes. And, and I've walked into many, many problematic situations with boards and CEOs or, or executive teams and companies, or, or it could even be a, a, you know, a parent child relationship. I was on a plane with a guy and, and and he said, he found out a psychologist. He said, yeah, I'm having some struggles with my teenage daughter. And I said, what's the problem? He goes, well, you know, those teenagers are just rebellious. And he says, he says, I'm, I'm just going to have to crack. He said, he said, she needs she, he goes, you ever heard of something called boundaries? She needs boundaries. <laughs> I said, Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but why do you say that? He goes, because teenagers are rebellious. And I said, Well, well, um, what do you think's driving this this rebellion that she's doing? She said, and he says, because teenagers are rebellious. <laughs> I said, but what do you think's driving it? And he said, well, that's how they are. And they just need strong, she needs strong I said. I said, have you ever sat down with her and asked her, for example, so what's it like to be in your class at school? How do the kids treat you? What's it like to be in your circle of friends? Or how about this question? Sweetheart, what's it like to be on the other side of me as your dad? I said, have you ever made a bridge to her heart, which is where certainly there's acting out behavior. That's, that's got to have limits and boundaries. But if you're not getting to the fuel and maybe she's acting out some pain or maybe something directly at you. And so had a pretty good talk about he, in some ways, he wasn't become becoming a trustworthy father, even though he was trying as a father. And we don't think about ourselves as much as we should, you know, even in businesses, one of the examples I put in the book, one of my clients is, is Chick-fil-A and has been for years and years. And, and one of the aspects of building trust is, is and the first aspect is we trust somebody when they feel, when we feel like they understand us deeply. And I was talking about, you know, Chick-fil-A is such great, Brand trust. I mean, everybody, everybody. You see a Chick-fil-A sign, you're going in. there, you know exactly what's going to be like. It's going. Everybody's going to be friendly. Everybody's going to be great. The food's going to be good. It's going to be hot. Well, they work on all that, right? But but an example I gave of, of the understanding, and this is, this goes to business understand their customers. If you go and I I've, I've, I've seen this. If you if if you're um. Soccer mom or mom in a van, and this wouldn't happen in Southern California because it doesn't rain, but if you're, well, it does now, but <laughs> yeah. you pull up to a Chick fil A and you got three kids under six years old, and it is pouring down rain, and you got to get three little kids into a restaurant, right? You know what's going to happen? That Chick fil A owner operator. It is going to see you and come out to that parking lot with an umbrella, mm-hmm. two umbrellas, and he's going to help you get those kids in the store. Now, where does that come from? It comes from them sitting around and asking, okay, what's it like for a mom mm-hmm. when she comes to one of our stores with a bunch of kids? What's that experience like? How could we help that? How could we, if we love others, like, you know, treat others like you would want to be treated she you said, that's empathy and understanding and trust. Really, we start trusting somebody when they, we feel like they understand what we need. Mm-hmm. A lot of people try to persuade you into trusting them. But the first thing you is you've got to understand your way into being trusted. Does your spouse feel like you understand really what they want and need from you? Many times people come home to a note after 10 years of marriage, And they go, what happened? And, you know, it's because they never listened and they did not understand or take time to understand what their spouse was needing.
0: No, I I think that's. (laughs) There's a great story about Saddleback about understanding.
1: (laughs) You know what I'm going to say?
0: Yes, you talk about it in your book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when, when Rick starts Saddleback, you know, he was way back there in Fort Worth in seminary and got this vision for this church in California. Didn't know anything about California or people in California. So they come out here and he doesn't just start a church. And back at that time, because, because I was a college student, and back at that time, everybody that went to seminary mm-hmm. knew how to start a church. You get a couple of guitars and rent a gym <laughs> and you start a church, right? Well, that's not what he did. He came out to by California, and put an army together, they start knocking on doors or calling people with one question. Do you go to church? And if the people said, yes. They said, God bless you. Have a nice day. But if they said no, then they asked the second question, which is, well, why not? Mm-hmm. They collected all those answers that people didn't go, why people didn't go to church and decided to build a church that had none of those things in it. Mm -hmm. They understood the person's needs first before they tried to meet them with getting the person to trust them with what they needed the people to hear. Yeah, It's a big deal.
0: Yeah. One of the things that pastor Rick used to say was "Mm." people don't, care how much you know, until they know how much you care. Yeah. That's that's, that, that's building that trust foundation first as so, okay, I can see that this person genuinely cares about me and may even love me. And I can, and, 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 and and those are all signs and, and feelings that will lead to making that decision to trust or at least to start down a trust path
1: exactly right and we don't we just don't listen enough mm. I mean there's one of the little I, I do a thing on my platform um if you go to boundaries.me, me there's all this stuff on there and, yeah. and the people that that are part of that I send out this little thing every day called one thing and it's one thing for you to practice today this little growth step mm. and and one of them I sent out one time was okay try this. If you want to instantly change a lot of your relationships today, in every conversation, I want you to listen at least 51% of the time. Hmm. And it's amazing for some people, first of all, that is a foreign reality. They might have thought of listening before, but If you ever talk to them and you have a conversation, ninety percent of the lunch is them talking, right? Sure. They're not building a lot of trust or a lot of deep connection. No, nobody's building connection all when you're talking all the time. Yeah. There's got to be some listening so the person feels
0: understood. There's definitely an art to uh, to listening, and it is worth taking that time to to learn a little bit in practice how to be a better listener because with listening becomes understanding and like we're talking about becomes empathy. It's tr- truly and not just understanding, but even maybe caring for what the person is feeling and thinking about and talking about. And that builds tr- a, a trust bridge from that person to show, you know, it shows the person they're taking the time to sit and listen and and ask questions and care about the things that are on my heart. Uh, that that's something that I can trust. I'm not sensing a judgment. I'm sensing the person who truly just wants to listen. And and that's that's a, a big trust builder. And and <laughs> this is this is scary.
1: But you know the Bible: calls somebody, doesn't listen, <laughs> and just talks a fool. It says he who gives an answer before he understands is a fool, and it is a folly and a shame.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, think of how many times we do that with with our spouses, or co workers, or people that you know were their boss, or our bosses, or whatever. And leaders, especially, they try to persuade people into trusting, but they haven't listened first. But we can be a good listener. Or somebody can be a good listener and we feel, oh, this person really understands it. That still doesn't make them totally trustworthy because there's some other factors involved. So we have to kind of think about the whole
0: picture. You mentioned earlier um, that we are to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And that got me thinking a little bit about the great a commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. I think that trust and understanding how this plays out in the loving your neighbor part, that makes a lot of sense for people is they can understand, yes, I can see how I need trust in, in that relationship. But since trust is such a key part of all relationships, that would include our relationship with God and even our relationship with ourselves. I was wondering... If you could talk a little bit about the role that trust plays in our relationship with God,
1: what is the word he uses over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again? Trust in the Lord. I mean, one of my life, we have two girls; they're twenty and twenty-two. Yeah. And when they launched, um, I said, "Girls, there's a lot of things I can tell you." but I'm going to tell you something I learned when I was about your age. It changed everything for me and all of my future and everything that's ever happened. And if it weren't for this one thing, you would not exist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Proverbs three, five and six mm-hmm. said, so I want you to read it. I want you to memorize it. And when you're confused, and you don't know what's going on, and you think everything's gone bad, I want you to cling to it. And then that's going about trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And he will direct, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Yeah. And we are called to trust God. Why? Because like I said earlier, we are not the creator, we are the created one. And just just think for a second about whatever you're going through today and trusting God. Where it says lean not on your own understanding. Okay, think of think about it this way. Think of a think of a classic romantic comedy. All right. <laughs> or some action, maybe. Sure. If you if you're watching it on Netflix and you hit pause, what do you see? You see a gazillion little squares across the screen. And all, all of those are different scenes. All mm-hmm. right. Well, in the middle of every romantic comedy, something like this is gonna happen. She he's gonna step in the bathroom, his phone lights up, she looks over there, and picks it up. It's his former girlfriend texting him, and she scrolls and saw where he had. Texted her or answered her the day before. She throws the phone. She has a fit. She runs out of the apartment. She goes back to her roommate. Packs everything up. I'm moving back to Kansas, and she leaves. And he comes and says, "What happens?" And he's brokenhearted. And he she doesn't know that the girlfriend ex girlfriend's mother. Has gotten sick and needs a doctor, and he/she wanted to know the doctor and her family, but there's nothing wrong. But she doesn't know it, and everything's falling apart. <laughs> well, that's one screen. <laughs> now, if you're the if you're the writer and director of the movie, you know we can scroll forward and see their wedding, or we can scroll forward and see the guy really wasn't jerk, and she was lucky to lose him, and then she does another Hallmark movie and finds the right <laughs> guy at Christmas when she's tending the aunt's store in Minnesota somewhere because the uncle just died, right? So, you've got to be able to see the whole movie, and God lives outside of the scene. Yeah. And when he says, trust her, trust me, and what that means is if you go through the 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 Paradigm in the book, the model I give in the book of how we know it's trustworthy. Does somebody understand me and what I need? Yes, he does. He made you. But more than that, he showed you. Mm-hmm. When Jesus came to the earth, it's the greatest act of empathy. He didn't stand up and try to persuade us, that he understood. He came down here. He got rejected, abandoned, killed, persecuted, left alone, Betrayed by his best friends, he understands. And when we hurt, he understands. The second one is their motive. Does God have a good motive for me? Well, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Oh, yeah, he's for you. And Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The real meaning of grace is unmerited favor, that he wants good things for us. And the third one is competency. You know, when Job was going through his darkest night, basically, like, all was, why did this happen to me, God, and you do all these things, and it was terrible, and we asked, why, 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 why? You know, God's basic answer was, well, then you make an alligator if you're so smart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: That we've got you look up at the sky and say, God made all of this. I think he he is competent enough to pull off what I need him to pull off. And then the fourth thing is character, and we we know the character of God, his compassion. His love, his justice, his care, he doesn't do anything that's not loving, he doesn't do anything that's not fair, truthful, and righteous. And then the fifth thing is a track record. Can we trust somebody's track record? Well, what is he saying in the Bible over and over? Remember when you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out. Remember when you came up, they were chasing you, and there was a big sea in the way. Well, those waters kind of partied for you there, didn't they? Yeah. Remember? You see, you thought there was a closed door. I'm going to open a door. And he keeps telling us, remember his track record. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at people that we're going to trust, do they understand me and what I need from them in this relationship? Do they have their own agenda only? They only care about themselves or they can they care for what I care about too for me? Are they competent to pull off what I need from them? You know, we can trust somebody in a lot of areas, but they're not competent to to trust in that area. And we have to tell them no, even though they're a good person. And then fourthly, do they have the personal makeup? i'm gonna need i got a i got a surgeon that i put in the book you know i said to two knee replacements and what if my surgeon were caring and, and understanding and he had great motives he wants to help me and he's very competent but then i watch him you know he invites me into a surgery watch you do a knee replacement and 10 minutes into it he goes oh
0: no the guy's bleeding oh no oh no he's bleeding
1: and runs out of the room i mean what What if his personal makeup isn't he's cool in a crisis and under pressure? So we got to look at somebody's personal makeup for what we're going to trust them with. And then fifthly, what's the tracker? Best predictor of the future is the past unless something changes. So you're asking about God, he's pretty good in all five of those areas. And he wants us to be.
0: Yeah. In my quiet time this morning, I, was uh, in Psalm 16, and it, and a part of that Psalm 16, uh, s- seven through eight says, "I will bless the Lord, who guides me, even at night. My heart instructs, instru- instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for He is right beside me." Like mm-hmm. that's that's the relationship we can have with God, because it's based on that trust. I know He is right beside me. I know, and that's that. That goes into. Everything that you just mentioned—understanding his motive, his uh, uh, ability, his character, his track record—that that brings us to this place of that we can have complete and utter trust, and uh, that God is for us, that He loves us, that He is with us, and, yeah. and that that's just such a beautiful thing. I, I I I I hope that that blessed you that little part of this conversation as much as it did me (laughs) in talking about that, I love that. I wanted to ask too, um, the second half of your book, Trust, talks a lot about restoring broken trust and it talks a lot about um, kind of some of the reasons that people may avoid trust or, or be questioning and not being as willing to give trust as maybe they could or should. What are some reasons that people do you think may avoid trust or just be unwilling to trust others?
1: You know, I talked earlier about how we're wired for trust yep. and you know, when, when a baby, look, God needs us to trust the outside world or we're going to die. If we can't, if we can't, if we can't trust food, we can't eat. We're going to die. It's <laughs> like so he made us, to move towards and to trust that which is good. It starts with a baby. A baby is wired and equipped to go on a drug trip. The moment they're born, they experience hell for the first time. What does a baby do when they come out? Weeping. weeping and gnashing of teeth is what the Bible describes hell as because hell is separation from life. And people that are in hell, Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and that screaming and that rage. Well, that's right in the baby's face. Why? Because they're in hell. They're separated from life for the first time they got snipped. It used to be, they used to be surrounded and immersed in life and love and and connected. And then they got disconnected. All right, well, what's the answer to hell? Trust in the Lord. Well, what's the answer to a screaming baby? Trust in mama. When they invite you to come And God uses this metaphor all the time with him. David said, God, you taught me to trust you at my mother's breast. That's the trust muscle. And when the baby is picked up then the baby is wired to look in those eyes and see and be mirrored with mirror neurons, this person is for me, not against me, and opens up and takes in love and food. Well, you do that long enough and you grow. And so if we can't, if our trust muscle is broken, then we're in trouble. So you say, you know, why do people have trouble with this? Well, what if that baby's going along? Okay. And trusting a lot of people, And then at four years old, six years old, or 10 years old, or 15 years old, or whatever age, one of the main one or two that she or he trusts in either violates them in some way or abandons them in some way. Boom their trust muscle all of a sudden withdraws, goes back, look at a turtle. What happens when a turtle, when it's not safe, it goes back in its shell. That's what the trust muscle does. And then they try to negotiate life without emotional or other investment. It doesn't work, but we do get hurt and we do get wounded. And sometimes we never get it developed in trust. Let's go to business for a second. Mm -hmm. The greatest leaders and the people that build things to enormous scale do that through trust. It's called very smart delegation. Mm -hmm. They find the best, most competent, and go down the list of the model in the book. Somebody that understands their vision, somebody whose agenda is for the vision and the leader, not for themselves. They're not going to divide the team with their own agenda. They're competent to pull it off. They got the personal makeup to bring that vision to a reality. And they got a track record. of What does that leader do? I'm sending you and putting you in charge of Asia. (laughs) And you see leaders all the time like that sending you a part of the, in charge of the Western region. And the leader's not thinking about them because they trust them. That's how you get anything to scale. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's trust muscle is broken, what do they do? They micromanage people and they they are not going to let them go do that. We can't do that. We, and they, they, they'll never get a life. that's very big if you can't trust. So it's a big deal.
0: I was fascinated by the idea of building your trust muscle. So I was I, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about, like, first off, what does it mean to build your trust muscle and why it's important? But also, if you had any kind of exercises or tips or ideas for people who want to build their trust muscle, and it may be in personal relationships and maybe in business relationships, it, it, it could be in, in, in any of those arenas the muscle is still is, is what we're talking about.
1: Right. Well, I I would think that, um, a simple way, if you want a simple way to do this, then let's make up a little formula here. It's vulnerability and risk. Plus not being an idiot. (laughs) All right, so little bitty steps like that. Now, now let let me tell you what I mean by this. You're not going to build your trust muscle without putting yourself at risk. It's the only way you're going to do it. Even in professional sports, for example. I'm a competitive golfer and have been my own life, my whole life. You talk to any golfer, Ever shot a course record and what they'll tell you is that day everything was working. And I just was sitting, I just was letting my swing work. I just went, I wasn't thinking about it. What happens? You, you start, you hit a bad shot every now and then, and then they take control, right? And, and they, they're afraid to hit that shot, they're not gonna risk it. Might go on the lake and they get and they start to limit their performance. Well, to be a great athlete, you the quarterback has got to trust, you know, when that wide receiver goes down and is going to make that turn across the middle of the field, that quarterback trusts that receiver so much that he's going to be where he's supposed to be. He's throwing it 25 yards in front of where the receiver is when he throws it. And he trusts that receiver to be there.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's risk. I'm putting the ball in the air and there ain't (laughs) nobody out there. (laughs) So, or if you join, maybe you're wounded and you got to go to a counselor and tell somebody for the first time something you've never told anyone. Mm-hmm. That's risk and vulnerability and you can get hurt. Mm-hmm. See, the only way that risk actually means anything is if the ball can get intercepted. Yeah. So you've got to find, and by the way, incremental small steps. That's why I said without being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we got to put ourselves something at risk, but it has to be a small enough step where if it goes bad, my life isn't over. That's why people make huge mistakes. When I fall in love with somebody and a week later they marry him. Well, you don't even know they're a parole officer yet. (laughs) (laughs) So without being an idiot. So what I mean is put yourself at risk, but ask yourself the five questions the book asks. Mm -hmm. Do you have some reason to believe they'll understand? Do you have some reason to believe that they will care for me and what I need? Do they have have some reason to believe that they're competent enough to deal with what I'm going to share or risk? And do they have the make personal makeup to pull it off? And you have some reason to believe they've done this before. Well, so that's how we build a trust muscle. Let me give a very practical example. When when my oldest daughter Olivia started driving, first. okay, this is why they made drugs for parents <laughs> who have who have to sit in the right seat of a car with this. Being over there driving the car for the first time, and you totally out of control, and and you're looking over there and say, "Wait a minute, I wiped you. What are you doing in the driver's <laughs> seat? They can't be driving the car, right?" It is the most. It's the scariest thing. Well, One of them ever. This is why, they seriously, I'll never forget that So we get. <laughs> She's so them with the learner's permit and now we're going to drive down the street because I would let her drive in parking lots and fields. We went hunting or golf carts or whatever. But now we're getting to the big leagues, right? We're going to, we're going to, how do you build a trust muscle? Well, we get, we get in the car, we start down the street and she goes through the First stop sign, okay. The second stop sign is made a later right turn. She didn't really fully stop. And I said, Olivia, you didn't really stop at that sign. She goes, Dad, I know how to drive. I went, whoa. <laughs> Pull over. Pull over. She pulls over. She says, what? And I said, let me tell you when you know how to drive. You know how to drive. When I can sit over here in this seat, and not fear for my life on that day, I will tell you (laughs) you how to drive. And so we kept learning now. I don't even think about it when she takes off or when she's driving and I'm in the car, but we had to take a little risk. And then she had to show some competencies and hear feedback. And it's a process. And I did not let her go on the four oh five freeway that first day. And so that's the big mistake people make is we don't we trust sometimes when we don't know enough to trust.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's okay to take those small steps, those incremental steps, and while still maintaining Boundaries, which we'll talk about next week, too. I think it's, a, it's, it's amazing how those two things really go together so well. Trust and boundaries. They can live in this beautiful tension because they seem to be contradictory, but when you really explore and dive into both of those is they really do go hand in hand.
1: And that's a big problem people have is getting love and limits hand in hand. Because they seem contradictory, right? And, and people that are loving have difficulty setting limits. And people that are all about limits and responsibility sometimes are not too loving. And the beautiful thing is the Bible says that the law, the limits, were given through Moses. That didn't work. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus. And he is the one where love and limits come together. And he never loves. I mean, love without, you can't love somebody without expectations. I mean, if we're in a relationship, it's like C.S. Lewis said, I may say that I'm totally accepting of everything about you, but if you punch me in the nose, you're going to find out, well, I'm not accepting about everything, right? So (laughs) that's why God gives us the expectations for how we're to love, and when we violate those, we have to set a limit on the violation and say, no, don't do it that way, do it this way. And love and expectations always go together. Now, when you say, are we going to forgive someone and have grace where we cancel the debt of the expectation? Absolutely, that's part of love. And that's also one of God's expectations for us. So we never can get away From that, you know, love without structure is codependency, and structure without love
0: is tyranny. Yeah. So we have to have them go together. Yeah. Well, friends, the book is Trust. Uh, When you are hearing this episode, it's available now, and we'll put the link to... uh, Buy the book, sure. and um, again, I'll have the link to it in the show notes. We will have the Boundaries.me podcast link include, and website link available for you too, and the Boundaries book link as well. Dr. Cloud, thank you so much for your time. really appreciate you. To, uh, your time today.
1: Well, it's been good to be with you. You know, if people go to drcloud.com forward slash trust... They can also find out um, how to get a free live event to play in their home for people or their organizations or whatever. So check that out.
0: Great. We'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Club Friends, we love you, and we will be back with you to talk boundaries next week. Good to be with you. Bye-bye. <laughs>